Welcome to the Indie Writer Podcast by Writing Block, where we talk all things writing and indie publishing. I'm Carrie Dubiel, and my co-host today is Becca Spence Tobias. Today, we will be talking with Michelle Cox, whose latest release is A Child Lost. We'll be talking about historical fiction, crime fiction, and how indie publishing intersects with those popular genres. How's everybody doing today? Meh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing great. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool, Becca. It's 2021. It's fine. I'm fine. (laughs) Who knows what the world will be like by the time this gets uh, posted. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Don't say anything dated. Right. We'll try to uh, focus on cheerful things today. Although we are going to be talking about like what the 1930s and murder. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, (laughs) take our minds off of what's going on in the current climate. So Michelle, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your work? And I have a couple of questions I'm going to ask you as we go. Sure. I'd love to. Yeah. So I write the Henrietta and Inspector Howard series. As you said, it's in the 30s in Chicago and it's been described. It's kind of like a Downton Abbey meets Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries, I think is a good sort of tagline for it. So yeah, book five, as you said, uh, Child Loss came out in April and we're rolling along. So yeah, you've got five books in this series right now? Five books. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, (laughs) I am outlining the six. I'll just put it that way. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's cool. So when we first met, we were talking a little bit before the podcast, you had come out with, I think the first book and maybe the second book or you were, or the second one was coming out. I don't quite remember, but I don't know that we had the chance to talk about what your inspiration was for the series. So why don't you talk a little bit about that and how you got started with this? Well, good question. (laughs) There's either a short answer or a long, so I'll try to go in the middle. You know, the the inspiration for the series was really a woman that I met in a nursing home. So Mm. it's um, Henrietta, who's the main character. She's based on this woman. I used to work in a nursing home and I used to hear these amazing stories. And that's my weekly blog is every week I tell a different one of these stories. And she used to follow me around and, you know, she told me her life story and she had this amazing, she was this bombshell apparently, and she had this amazing life in Chicago in the 30s and 40s. And she used to tell me that she once upon a time had a man stopping body and a personality (laughs) to go with it. I'm like, oh my God, who says that? So when I was looking for an idea, you know, I pulled her story out and I thought, you know what, I can, I'm going to craft a character around this woman. And I put a lot of real life things that happened to her into the book. Of course, there wasn't a murder or the handsome detective, but <laughs> there are a lot of other things in that that first book, A Girl Like You, is actually really happened. So that's cool. Yeah, that's kind of the short answer. Has the woman that your stories are based on, has she had the chance to read any of your work about her? I know. No, I wish. Because when I met her, it was like 19, I think like 90, 91. Mm-hmm. She was like almost 80 at the time. So oh. yeah, I'm sure she's gone. 
So. That's really cool, though, that she left her legacy that way. Yeah. With you. And yeah. it's such a kind of an, a different way of some, you know, we always think about what will we leave behind. Right. And you turned her into a character. That's so cool. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. She was a really neat woman. And it's, it's funny, but you know, I don't know if you've had this experience with writing. It's like, if you do base something off, you know, partially a, a story or a true story that you heard after a while, it, it's hard to remember what are the true parts yes. <laughs> and what, what you made up. Mm. Totally. Yeah. And it all starts to feel real. Yes. <laughs> it all starts to feel very real. A lot of my first novel that's in production with Think Shares is based on stories of my grandmother and my mom, but they're, I mean, they're fictionalized big sure. time. My mom's like 1980s in Woodstock has become 1990s in Prague. And wow. just as an example. But some of it starts to feel like real family legend in my mind. <laughs> I know. I know. It's true. That's and funny. The characters to themselves, even if they are fictional, I'm sure that you have experienced this too, they actually do start to kind of become real. Like there yeah. was one time I used to, when I was first writing the series, I would listen to this 1930s, you know, playlist constantly in the car for like mm. three years and the kids were like oh mom please can we listen to something <laughs> like, no this is great anyway one time we were driving i'm like oh you guys you guys this is clive and Henrietta's favorite song and they're like mom real. <laughs> like oh yeah i forgot so it's funny yeah. i love that so you kind of knew that the setting would be historical you kind of had a kind of a pre- not predetermined, but like a setting that went along with your inspirational person. How, where did the murder part come in? Well, yeah, good question. <laughs> um, you know, the longer part of your first question is that, you know, when I sat down to write a book, the, the first book I wrote, it wasn't this, this book. It was, mm -hmm. and it really wasn't a book, wasn't trying to get published. I didn't know mm -hmm. anything about publishing. I really didn't know anything about writing, but I had always kind of wanted to write a novel. So I, when I finally decided I was going to try it, it was really just to see if I could sit in a chair long enough to, mm. to write a book. And I did. And it took about a year. And then, you know, I passed it out to family and friends. And they're like, wow, this is, this is great. This is like a real book. <laughs> Should I be insulted by that? So anyway, they're like, well, why don't you try to get it published? And I'm like, well, that wasn't really the goal. And I don't know anything about publishing. But then, you know, of course, it, it started to be kind, kind of attractive. Like, wow, maybe I could get it published. So, you know, I didn't realize how, you know, that's like one in a million. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. So I, you know, spent about a year trying to shop it and I figured out, you know, it was way too long. I didn't mm. realize that it's, you know, there's such a thing as a word count. Because, you know, up until like this point, I'd been reading like either classic literature all my life or or maybe some historical fiction. So I didn't realize that, you know, really how contemporary fiction worked. Mm. So anyway, when I realized that that one was, was going nowhere, I thought, you know, OK, now it became not can I write a book? It, 
became, can I get a book published? That was the new challenge. Mm. So I thought, well, what would attract an agent? And stupidly, I thought mystery again. <laughs> Didn't really know that much about the industry. So I thought, well, I can write a mystery. So I took this woman's story. I turned it into a mystery, throw in a murder and all that kind of stuff. But then halfway through, I'm like, you know, I really love these characters and I really don't want this to end. So maybe I could turn it into a series. And then I thought, oh no, now I have to write a mystery series. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Yeah. But I think that's why it's kind of one of those genre blend series. It's, Mm. you know, it's historical fiction, but it's also, there is, you know, a mystery kind of in the background every time. And it's, you know, kind of romancy as well. Yeah. Yeah. Usually a mystery has got some sort of romance going on. And I think it's just, I just like that. I don't know. I just do. Yeah, right? (laughs) Just something else going on besides, you know, looking for clothes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It seems right. It feels right. Right. But that's really cool that your characters have kind of endured with you. I haven't written a series, although I flirted with the idea for a little while when I first joined Sisters in Crime, I think because most of my friends were writing series. Right. And I just was like, that was what I wanted to be like them. You know, I wanted to be, <laughs> I wanted to be successful, but that, that ended up not what I was cut out to do, but I think I've figured that out, but okay, it's just funny yeah, how our writing lives kind of develop and change over time. For sure. So you had to start researching then. Yeah, you know, I did. Well, I, I feel fortunate because I did have a lot of sort of firsthand accounts of what Chicago was like in that era from mm. talking to all of these people all the time. And I feel like I just kind of have that type of brain that kind of absorbs all the details. So like if I'm watching a period drama, for example, I'm part of my brain's always watching the background mm. <laughs> to see, you know, how they've staged it, what they're wearing, you know, and you know, that doesn't necessarily mean whatever I'm watching is accurate, but I, I just seem to kind of collect those. Hmm. But there is an also, just as far as Chicago goes, what has been a great resource is actually a lot of online. There's an Encyclopedia of Chicago site, which is awesome. And then some of the neighborhoods where I, I write about have like Jefferson Park and Logan Square. They have a pretty significant like historical group just within their neighborhood, which I think is kind of cool. And so they have their own like little historical society. And so they have a lot of stuff on the, on those, you know, pictures and um, firsthand accounts and maps and pretty neat. Small historical societies are so amazing. And so I use them for Upshur County, West Virginia. I, it's this tiny county. It's about 20,000 people where I grew up. And they have a historical society that I spend time at whenever I go back to West Virginia to research or just to see my family and then to research my book. But it's so incredible because it's all volunteer run and they're so excited to have somebody (laughs) 
come talk to them and ask questions and I'll just email the woman and then she'll, because it's like an older retired woman and then she'll spend the week researching for me and send me like a newspaper clip from 1940 that answers my questions. I think one time I emailed her asking about the postmaster general of the town during world war II, and she got back to me the next day. It's such an incredible resource. That's amazing. Yeah, I do think that there's so much there because like, I think what you're saying that most people are volunteers and they are just so eager to share their passion. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely are. I had at the library, we don't keep most of the local records because the Hudson Library and Historical Society and then the Akron Summit Library, they have most of the stuff. But the Twinsburg Historical Society, if you want anything on just Twinsburg, like they will talk to you about it like sideways and upside down and backwards. <laughs> and I wrote a history of the library for the library centennial. And I <laughs> I got caught up in all that research. And some of those people are gone now because that was 10 years ago. So I imagine, you know, drums up a lot of memories for you, you know, brings back, you know, once you think about those people who helped you 10 years down the road when this book is published, it's really Mm -hmm. neat. That's true. That's very true. But the libraries, the smaller libraries, you might find some of those folks too in there, you know, the ones who are excited about research, not so much in my world, but (laughs) (laughs) the little libraries. Yeah, they're out there for sure. The small towns. Yeah. 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 One of the things that was neat about one cool research little tidbit is the main character, Henrietta, when, you know, in the first book, she's a taxi dancer, but she's also a a 21 girl. Hmm. And I had to research what that was. And apparently what that is, I want to hear that. It's apparently like this dice game that was just local to Chicago taverns. Whoa. So, yeah. So anyway, I was looking up different places in Chicago that might have had this. And this bar popped up online called The Hideout. And I clicked it and it had like a history section, which, you know, how many online bars have this? (laughs) But they had this history page and it said, yeah, we used to have 21 girls and all this kind of stuff. And they were in existence, you know, before Prohibition and then through Prohibition and then after. And I thought, you know, and what was weird about it, it was actually in the neighborhood where I have the fictional Henrietta live. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) I've got to go to this bar. And so I went down into the city. I'm in like an hour and 20 North of Chicago. Okay. And so I went down and went to this like dive bar and I went in and in the back, they've got, they shoot a PBS show at this bar. It's called the interview show. And you know, it's on channel 11 and they just got syndicated. So I'm like, oh my God, this is a sign. I've got to be on the show. (laughs) (laughs) So for three years, yeah, I was like periodically going down there meeting the host. And then finally he, he had me on the show. (laughs) That's so That is so awesome. Yeah, it was cool. What a cool thing. I love Chicago. It's such a cool city. It is. There's so much there and it's, you know, So your story with the coincidences and the nightclub, it kind of reminds me, I, one of the settings in my book is based on 
a little picture that my grandma gave me of her and some of her friends in DC when she traveled there to be an FBI government girl during the war. And it's like in a little envelope with the nightclub's like logo and address on it. And so you can like see the stuff in the background and see the way they're dressed and you can look it up. But there is nothing about this place ever having existed anywhere online because it's just like like a little random club that was probably open for a few years during the war while all of these Mm. women were in dc working like open for that purpose probably shut down (laughs) whatever but wow i'm so i'm really kind of jealous that you were able to find out (laughs) (laughs) about your about your bar yeah right how often does that happen but did you put did you put all of that in your book I did, and I'm even. Oh you know, you're talking I've about your playlist. <laughs> I'm. I know. I. I feel like historical fiction authors are like we're the same kind of nerd because <laughs> we're right? even, like <laughs> gushing over this <laughs> because she was just like, oh my god, a bar with a, an address <laughs> or a picture. <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah. I love and so that. It's I hilarious. Like a book that was released about government girls during that year. So they're, and I'm really, and like their favorite songs are in it. So I'm like putting this together and I feel like I'm excavating my grandmother's life. And like you're saying, like, I don't, I have no idea how much of it is actually true, but it feels like a way to, <laughs> to like know her. Even, you know, mm. even if she read this book by the author instead of the book I read, or even if she liked, like this song instead of the other one by the same artist like it still feels like a way to get to know her in that period of her life that that's true. that she was not necessarily open to talking about when she was alive yeah that's that's interesting yeah that is so neat yeah i mean for me i kind of feel like writing historical fiction or historical mystery whatever it's for me it's kind of like a way to get back there yeah. just kind of like what you're saying. It's like you can't really go back in time, but you can write yourself back there. Yeah. And you do. I bet it's, I mean, I have no idea because I'm not an actress, but I always kind of think that it's like actors who <laughs> will kind of try to inhabit the character that they're getting into, like with the soundtrack and just, I try to get really absorbed in whatever time I'm I'm trying to write about at the time. And it really does, you you get there in your head where it's all you're thinking about. Right. Yeah. It becomes like a little mini obsession. Yeah. It's fun. I, it really, is really I can fun. definitely <laughs> see that in my, some of my staff members who are really into history and genealogy, like they get so excited. And I think like there's certain pieces of history I get excited about. Like I could just spend hours in like a pop culture museum or any sort of like, you know, artifacts from TV and that kind of stuff. But I'm not like, I'm not into the (laughs) genealogy the way that some of these guys are. But I think like, I feel that same kind of excitement when you talk about the business card and the bar and stuff. And so I can see how it could become such a, you know, such an obsession, something you want to keep digging into. Right, exactly. So that's part of what the next question I wanted to ask was, what do you like about it? And because I don't feel that same sort of, I'm not drawn to it in the same way, but when I read it, I can usually get really absorbed in it. Like I can feel that passion from it. What do you think is, when are the moments when you 
say to yourself, why did I decide to do this again? Like, what's the hard part about it? I was going to say, I feel like that every day. No. Um, (laughs) For anything like historical fiction, I would say, you know, I think for me, the hard part would be uh, getting the dialogue right. Yeah. I think that I'm pretty good at dialogue, but, and so it's kind of my pet pet peeve if I'm reading historical fiction and, and there's just, you know, too modern of a phrase it really Mm. stands out to me so I think I'm pretty good at at doing that but it is really hard and I think it's also hard because there's some words like I think that I was researching the word hangout once and Mm. you think of that as a very modern word and yet it actually dates to the 1800s but I would never use that word mm-hmm. in, in my book because that would jump out like a red flag to readers. So it's kind of like you have to be accurate, but, you know, you can't be too accurate either. You have to be accurate in a way that feels accurate to a modern reader. Yes, <laughs> that, that is hard exactly it. Yes, that I is never exactly thought it. of that. I never thought of it that way. But oh my gosh, that's like my brain turning over just thinking <laughs> it's about It's really that. difficult. It's very hard. That must be so hard. And it's right? also really hard to walk the balance, not only in dialogue, but what to include, at least for me, because you want to put enough it, enough detail in to make it feel immersive without it being distracting, where the right. reader is saying like, this is, or it's like, here's a detail from the time. Here's a little detail from the time. Here's a detail for the time. Like, right. you like you're to just feel natural and in. like you're just there. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think it's hard to, to write a character that's authentic to that time mm-hmm. in terms of how they would act or what's important to them or what their motivation is, especially women. And mm-hmm. so you want to make them authentic, but you at the same time, they have to still appeal to a modern reader. Hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So right. you can't have a wallflower right. woman. Right. Even if those things she is doing wouldn't be possible or would be implausible, she still has to be kind that of a modern do. heroine. Yeah. Right. And so you have to kind of handle that, I think, kind of delicately because, you know, how many, you know, super independent type <laughs> women who want to chart their own course, you know, right. You know, we're right out there. So there were a lot in nineties historical fiction for teens. <laughs> I remember reading. <laughs> well, there you go. They were trying to get us to be empowered. Oh my. Now we're just is- tired. <laughs> like Catherine. What is the one I'm thinking? I know what I know. Catherine, Catherine called Birdie. Yes. Okay. Yes. I just had like a flashback to like Mm -hmm. probably the first historical fiction that I got really into. Yep. And then the True Confessions of Charlotte Doyle is the Mm. other one. I think that was on a pirate ship. Yeah. The stuff in my brain, like that's really digging far back. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that if I pulled it out now, it would be nothing like what I remembered. I can't wait to read some of these books with my son and be like, oh, so this is that. Yeah, (laughs) that just happened. This is totally off topic, but I just read Harriet the Spy, which I loved as a kid with my seven-year-old and did not remember at all how Harriet was actually like kind of an asshole. (laughs) 
<laughs> my memory of it as a kid is like awesome and all of her classmates are like terrible but like she's <laughs> she's kind of a jerk that is so funny i read the same book to my daughter and i'm like okay not reading this one again yep <laughs> yeah i definitely remember i have more of a rosy memory of that book too i wonder why do you think it was just because she was like she was a writer and she was observing everything around her. And right. I and she identified was doing, with that. yeah, she was doing so much stuff. Yeah. Right. That's, <laughs> she was doing jerk stuff apparently. Cause I don't remember any of that. I remember her writing in her little notebook and <laughs> she's like writing about how everyone is. Yeah. She's like calling all of her friends stupid and fat. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. I know it, it is. It did not hold up. The way it did, it did not age well. Say the test of time. No. Yeah. Unless well, you're I can. Yeah. I did reread The Mysterious Disappearance of Leon, I mean Noel, by Ellen Raskin again, which was one of my favorite books of all time. And I felt like it mostly did hold up. It, it wasn't, you know, it, it felt the same when I reread it, but maybe Aww. I should reread it again just to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> I did not read One day, mark my words, one day I'm going to write an update to that story, but. It That'd still hasn't cool. quite worked out. I tried it for NaNoWriMo last oh, year, really? and I Did feel you? like I got, I made some headway. And actually, parts of it were set in Chicago, Ooh. but I got too scared by it. Like, it was too ambitious. So I might come back to it. I, I think it's going to be, like, a longer one, like, longer than what I normally write. And it has, like, third person and, like, different perspectives and stuff. I'm afraid my agent would read it and be like, oh, honey. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see <laughs> you never but know anyway you never know yeah we talked about research we talked about historical fiction I wanted to talk now a little bit about crime fiction since that is kind of we talked a little bit about it at the beginning I've just always been really into mysteries like I well Harriet the Spy and like <laughs> Nancy Drew and the Happy Hollisters. Oh and, my God! Um, Another person. Like Brown. The, I loved the Happy Hollisters. I read them. I, my mother had the set, oh so they were passed down from her, and I read all of them. And the Boxcar Children. Yes, they wow. were. They were solving mysteries. Although I really liked that first one when they lived in the boxcar and they had to like fend for themselves in the boxcar. I was a little bummed that that didn't happen after the first book, but <laughs> they were into that. So, and don't forget Trixie Belden and Trixie Belden. Yep, I read all those too. Yep, I love yeah, so many of them. So I just, I just love that stuff. Like I just ate it up. So, but then when I started writing, I never wrote it. I wrote like a terrible women's fiction. <laughs> novel i wrote a star trek deep space nine novel i wrote like all sorts of weird stuff and then i one of the writers in my sisters in crime group had reached out to me i was like probably 26 and she had heard that the library had a good meeting room and she wanted to know if they could meet there and i was like oh sisters in crime i was like that sounds cool. They talk about <laughs> mysteries. I'm like, I like mysteries. Maybe I'll go. And then I just was like, oh my God, everything's so much more interesting when there's crime involved. 
<laughs> That's true. So that was how I started writing crime fiction. Because I'm kind of like all over the place. I don't write strictly crime fiction. I write like multiple types of things. But I just love it. It's one of, you know, it's one of the things I'm passionate about. So I want to talk a little bit about that. So with your mysteries, you've got a lot to pack in there. You've got <laughs> the historical, you've got the romance, and then you've got to come up with this crime and then it's got to be solved. Is it generally solved in one of your books or do you have any arcs that go through the whole series? Well, each mystery is solved, but there are a lot of continuing arcs that, okay. that go on into the next book. So there's always a little bit of a cliffhanger at the end. Okay. That sounds like what most of my friends do with their series. So you've got that one kind of main mystery that gets solved right. at the end of the book. Yes. So what is your like writing routine for that? Do you have, are you the kind of person who's got to have the map ahead of time or <laughs> is this something that you kind of like found your way into? Well, I kind of stumbled my way into it, like I said, because I kind of didn't know what I was doing. And I, you know, I didn't realize that there's a this, you know, mystery formula, especially for a series. And mm -hmm. I wasn't really following that. So I think that's why a lot of readers are like, oh, this is like so different. Mm -hmm. It's cool. But really, it's, it's more this like big saga of these. And it's Clive and Henriette are, of course, the main characters, but there's so many subplots going on now, especially by book five. Mm -hmm. But I am definitely the type of person where I need an outline. So I need to figure out, you know, what's the crime and who is the killer or who is the, you know, culprit and then why they did it and then sort of work backwards from there. But I'm, you know, having to sort of work the subplots in there sometimes too. So it, it is taking more and more <laughs> planning to make sure I'm hitting, you know, I'm not just, you know, getting the, the mystery solved from beginning to end, but I also have to kind of move some of these other storylines along. So mm -hmm, a little bit mm -hmm. tricky. So I definitely need an outline. Do you have cool. kind of a larger idea about where the series as a whole is going to end up? Or is that like, we'll see as we get there. We'll see as we okay. get there. <laughs> I know, because I didn't really... I didn't, be very ambitious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, no, you know what? Some people are like, how can you not know where this series is going? I'm like, I don't know. I just <laughs> we'll think it up as Sometimes I go. you just don't know. Like, I can't remember if we've had this discussion on this podcast, but I know I've had this discussion because I have so many friends that write series especially when they're traditionally published, they don't know if they're going to get a contract for more books. That's so true. Like, they've written three and they kind of have to wrap it up so that it's satisfying to the reader, but then they also have to leave it open, leave something open. I just finished a book the other day that had an ending like that. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I really hope there's another book because I really want to know. I, yeah. I love the character so much. I'm like, I want to know what happens to them next. But I'm afraid that it was something like that where the author is just waiting to see, like, will there be a sequel? Will there not be a sequel? Yes, but, that is true. You're, you know, sometimes it's really not up to the author. Yeah. And then sometimes it starts, even if it is, like, like my one friend has, I think, She's contracted for nine books Ooh, and wow. seven just seven is coming out. Wow. And she's like, I have to add new things in. 
mm-hmm. because there's no way I'm going to stretch this series out. <laughs> you don't want it to get like Janet Ivanovich or any other book series that's gone on for many, many books and have it be the same old story over right. and over again. Yes. Nancy Drew, like all the people I just mentioned. <laughs> I mean, readers, they want some kind of formula in a way, like they want there to be a satisfying resolution and they want, you know, intrigue along the way and a crime and all those like component parts. Right. But the longer your series goes on, the harder it is to juggle all the subplots like you were saying. So. Right. Exactly. Or the temptation I have is that, you know, now the subplots are seeming kind of more interesting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I like the books four and five, the, the, the subplot of Henrietta's younger sister, Elsie is, you know, gets almost as much playtime as the Clive and Henrietta story. Mm. I have a lot of readers who have written and in and said that they're almost starting to prefer the Elsie story. And can I do a spinoff? I'm like, wow, my God. (laughs) (laughs) But that's kind of a neat idea that there might be a spinoff. Right. I've always thought it would be so cool to have, you know, you, some authors, you, you know, see, do this. And I just Mm -hmm. love it as a reader where you're reading one series and then you read another series by them. And then some of the characters cross. I love that too. My favorite is as from a kid again is Madeline Laingo with her fantasy um, and then her like more realistic fiction but then mm-hmm. there are little crossovers like the girl in the main character in the realistic series has like read science by Charles Wallace from the fantasy mm-hmm. <laughs> series I love it that's so cool yeah I love those books I hope those still hold up I gotta go back and reread all those I know I should too <laughs> so another question about writing a series because that's not what I do at all. I get to jump around even within a book. I have like three different time periods. (laughs) So um, (laughs) when, since you've been going on for five books now, like has, how much time has elapsed and have you had to change any of the historic details because of that time elapsing? (laughs) That's a good question. You know what? I, for some reason, the books pretty much pick up right where the other one. Okay. leaves off and they only span about maybe three months in within the book got it yeah i mean i haven't had to change the timeline but i did have to slightly change the premise because when i decided to turn this into a series i'm like oh no not only do i have to write a mystery series but i don't really want it to be (laughs) you know noir chicago a Mm, cop and his wife solving you know gritty crimes i'm like uh uh you know because they say write what you would like to read so i kind of in book two i had to kind of twist it and make clive you know the heir to this estate and Mm. then we kind of bring in that the whole reverse cinderella story Hmm, cool and so it's pretty cool yeah so you kind of have you now you've got because you know as you're as you mentioned, when you're writing a series or you have to continue to have these sort of tension points. So you have the the crime that's going on, but you need something that's going on between the characters as well. So now I, you know, I also talk about sort of the the haves and the have nots. And that's kind of a 
attention that's running through the story as well. That's cool. I had a question that I have completely forgot because I got, I looked at your website and started looking at the, the (laughs) descriptions of the books again. And I was like, Oh yeah, I know. I really want to read them now. (laughs) (laughs) It's so cool. Yeah. I I will say, I know what I was going to say. Oh, go ahead. You (laughs) I remembered what it was like, you know, at the end of your book one, your characters are engaged or they're going in, they're engaged in book two. And so like you have to draw kind of that relationship out along kind of like the whole like Ranger and I can't remember the other guy, Morelli from, from Janet Ivanovich. I've noticed that in some of my other, my friends, other series, it's just different when the romantic characters haven't gotten together over three books. (laughs) You're like, why haven't they gotten together yet? (laughs) But then that gives them a little, the author a little bit more time to draw that out. Whereas, you know, you, you have opposite, there's always some kind of problem, romantic problem when you have a series. (laughs) Yes. I was just going to say that. I'm like, you know what? I, because I didn't know what this, you know, the mystery formula was, I didn't realize that I wasn't supposed to get the two characters together in the first book. <laughs> like, oh, I supposed to stretch it out. But I personally hate that when you're on like book seven of a series and the two main characters still haven't gotten mm-hmm. together. Like, oh my God, I can't take this anymore. I know. But I have my friend uh, Vivian Chen who writes the noodle shop mysteries oh okay her characters get together in like either the first or second book i want to say and i le- just like it so much better because she's had the chance to develop their relationship over the books and like they don't have a ton of conflict but sometimes it's like it's kind of nice you know it's like she's got this detective boyfriend but he's not trying to pull her away from the case like he actually wants to help her you know it's it's different it like breaks the mold yeah but, which is what I like yeah but it's it's you always have to navigate it in some way <laughs> right and with Clive and Henrietta I mean there's a tension where you know he's kind of he kind of want her to be lady of the manor you know and it's like mm-hmm. well that's not really what I signed up for mm-hmm. <laughs> when I agreed to marry you and so you kind of have that whole thing with them trying to figure it out but that's not enough I thought romantic tension so of course that's why Elsie the younger sister Mm -hmm. you know we go through a lot of trials and tribulations with her (laughs) well that's but yeah that's like the best friend in um, other mystery series the best friends got always got something going on and then um there's often like the quirky family member yes right (laughs) (laughs) there's a formula (laughs) <laughs> yeah, or like the the pet, the pet, the, yeah. the pet that helps solve a mystery, whether it be like a cat or a gecko or <laughs> a small dog, <laughs> you know, whatever. Somehow figures into it, right? Yeah, yeah. But I like I like that yours are different, and I like I you know I don't I don't want to decry the formula because the formula is what gets people to be readers. That's right. They read one book, they know they liked it. They read the next one, they know they liked it. It just keeps, you know, keeps the cycle going. It helps reinforce. That's why, you know, when my son reads the Fly Guy books, he's going <laughs> to read every single Fly Guy book. But that's what kind of sinks it in there. Yeah. And I, I've noticed on Romance Landia lately, they've had a lot of talk about 
formulas on Twitter. And like, there's nothing wrong with the formula, but I also find it really interesting when authors do things that are different. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's cool. I think so, so too. There's room for both. Room yeah. For both. I just wanted to say too about the mystery element. I do appreciate the mystery now more than I ever did because it's something that it gives your character something to actually do. So it's like a built-in mm-hmm. drama, a built-in plot. And then you right. just spin the story around that. So it's I've actually grown to really like it. <laughs> There's always a resolution at the end yes. of something. Right. Maybe not everything, but th- there's some sort of answer that you find. So cool. I wanted to talk a little bit about publishing before we wrap up. And because you're an indie author like us, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. How did you get into the indie life? And you talked a little bit about how you had queried and kind of researched the traditional way. How'd you get into this this sort of world? I think you've done really well. Oh, thanks. Yeah, you know, like I said, I, I tried to sort of shop it for a year and nothing was happening. And I thought, you know what? you don't really know what you're doing and (laughs) maybe you should, you know, invest some time into trying to figure out why, you know, you're not having any success. And so I signed up for the Writers Digest conference in New York. Mm. That was really fun to go to. And that was like my newbie experience. And so, you know, I went into the first, you know, panel and it was all about hybrid press publishing. And I just thought, wow, you know, this is perfect. You know, I kept looking around at everybody else around me, like, are you guys hearing this? This sounds great. (laughs) So because, you know, that whole, maybe it was just me, but maybe it was, you know, the the tone of the conference. It it really was very sour on traditional Mm. publishing. And it's interesting. I was really actually pretty depressed, you know, going from panel to panel. And I'm like, wow, I, you know, I don't, I don't, no wonder I'm not getting anywhere. I, you know, mm. should I just give up? So, but then when I went into this panel and it was run by an agent, April Eberhardt, and she was talking about, you know, this new way of publishing. And so I just thought that sounded great. And then the next panel I went into was a She Writes Press author who had been traditionally published and she published with She Writes Press and she just had mm. some great things to say. And so when I got home, you know, I researched them for like one minute and then <laughs> submitted my big gargantuan novel to them. And okay, you first submit, you know, 20 pages and then they're like, oh, yeah, this is great. And yeah, we'll take it. And so then, you know, I'm like, wow, you're going to take it at 129,000 words. <laughs> and they're like, what? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> we can't publish this. And so anyway. I said, we went back and forth, back and forth. And then like, I have any power, right? To mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, I'm going to change their mind. So I said, well, I have this mystery that I, you know, just finished, you know, would you, would you be interested in that? And so they, they read that and they took it and that kind of started my whole career with them. So That's yeah, cool. it's weird because I wrote this while I was writing this mystery, it was really remember to try to get an agent and then by the time I was ready, I was so soured on traditional publishing. I'm like, 
I'm just going to give it right to she writes and, you know, I'm going to skip the whole agent thing. So I have no idea what would have happened if I would, would have tried to shop a girl like you. That's what happened to me with uh, ink shares with how to remember. I Well, I did try to shop it a little bit, but I didn't get very far. I had like, I want to say like three or four full requests for it. Oh, wow. That's so I did. Good. I did do pretty well, but they just kept rejecting it in the end. And I, you know, I still had a lot of agents left on the query list, but I just kind of like, it was my birthday and I was like, I'm never like, I could query agents for the next 10 years and never get one. So I just sent it. (laughs) And then I realized that I had to get people to buy it. (laughs) (laughs) The fine print. So that was kind of the, the like, sad trombone I I thought I was gonna post it and that everybody would be like oh my god you wrote a book I'm gonna buy it right now and no yeah Yeah. it worked (laughs) really but but yeah I didn't really it was kind of weird how I ended up getting into this indie hybrid life but right I'm really I'm glad it worked out this way and I and I don't know what my traditional journey is going to be like, but at least I know both sides of it. Yes. Right. Exactly. I know all of the pitfalls and all of the heartaches and all of the (laughs) joyful moments. So it's, it's funny. Yeah. But yeah, you've won so many awards and your books are everywhere and I just love it. And you said you get a lot of messages from readers. I want to hear about how that, <laughs> how does that go? You know, the the number one thing that I get all the time, and I've probably, I probably, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say I've heard this hundreds of times that, you know, people write to me and ask when it's going to be on Netflix or oh, no. get it on Netflix or, <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, you know, it's on my to-do list. I just haven't gotten it. Yeah, yeah, you would gotten to it. Right? Yeah. So I, you know, everyone's like, oh, this would just be an amazing Netflix series. And they're, they're screaming for content now. I'm like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, I mean, funny. that is really, I, I mean, this is going to sound crazy, but that is really the reason that I wrote these two other standalones. They're mm. just straight up historical fiction is my goal was to try to get a literary agent, not just, not to necessarily sell these books. I mean, that'd be great, but it was really just so that I could get connected to like a film agent or somebody either in-house or some connection to try to sell the rights to the series to make it into some sort of, you know, Netflixy thing. That's cool. Yeah. So it's like, talk about the long way around. I'm like, Michelle, it, there must have been an easier way than to write two standalone novels. <laughs> when I started looking for my agent for my newer book, I that was kind of my my goal was not so much to, you know, sell another book because I already had a book in the works. It was kind of like, I need someone to tell me what to do. Yes. That's part of it. I need like a manager. Yeah. Exactly. I need I need a boss. I need a writing boss to tell me what to do. Yeah, tell me what to write next. I'll do it. And the market is so volatile and 
indie publishing has proved that there's room for everything. It just, you have to reach the right readers. And it's just one big giant ball of crazy out there. Why do we do it? I don't know. (laughs) Because we love stories. Yeah, that's the thing. And that's the thing, you know, I get to do the least of of every day that most of it is, you know, marketing and I wrote yesterday, but today I was like, oh, I didn't write anything. No, <laughs> like, like that's where the joy comes from. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like right now I'm writing a story that's set like in the near future. So it's almost like similar to going back to the past and imagining what their lives were like. Now it's kind of like I'm imagining what people's lives are like and, you know, 10 years from now. So. Yeah. You know, I applaud you because my mind just does not work that way. I wouldn't mm-hmm. even know what to say. That's why Especially I can't even write right contemporary. Now. Right. I'm like, oh, uh, I know. <laughs> you know, because my plots would all fall apart, like, you know, because readers would be like, why doesn't she just airdrop it into somebody's <laughs> hot spot on their phone? I, I don't even know the language. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I get so many, like, when I'm giving my books to beta readers, I get so many like too stupid to live moments. Like, why did she do that? And I'm like, I don't know because she did. <laughs> Just go with it. Suspend reality. My my poor agent, like every time I send a new draft, she's like, but this is a plot hole now after you made this revision. And I'm like, stop. Thank you both so much for being here. This has been super fun. Yeah, this was great. It was just like chatting. Michelle, why don't you tell our listeners where to find you? Well, sure. You can find me at michellecoxwrites.com. And all of my social media buttons are there. And you can look for my books at, of course, Amazon or your local indie bookstore or your local library. So thanks for listening to the Indie Writer Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will subscribe to hear our future episodes. We want to thank the Writing Block community for your continued support. You can find us on Twitter or Facebook or at writingblock.com. Okay. Remember to subscribe, share, and tell your friends. Thanks, everyone, and happy writing.